Hello and welcome to the Dear Future Self podcast with your host, Zoe Longford-Brown. This is a podcast where you get clarity on what you need to do to reach your health and fitness goals without diet culture. It's been almost five years since I founded my coaching business, Zoe Rose Fitness, which specializes in helping women to find their love of exercise and feel the happiest and healthiest they've ever felt. Our mission is to help as many women as we can and provide you with weekly episodes designed to educate, motivate, and inspire you to improve your health and well-being. I know through personal experience that this isn't always a straightforward journey, which is why I believe the work comes from looking after your future self. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode of Dear Future Self. This week we have a guest episode and I want to welcome a very special guest onto this podcast, Elena Consoli. Elena is a yoga instructor with an incredible mission to make yoga classes as accessible, welcoming and inclusive as possible. Elena has an incredible online platform and teaches across Edinburgh. Elena, welcome to the Dear Future Self podcast. How are you? Thank you. Doing really well today. Thank you. Good, good. It's lovely for you to spend your time with me this afternoon. I'm so excited for this conversation. I would firstly love to hear about your own journey with yoga. Where did it all start? Yes. So originally I was a dancer. And when I say that, like it was my whole world from the age of three until I was 26. So when I was a baby, my first words were, I want to take ballet. And that was all my mom heard for a year and a half. And it drove her mad because I was too young and no ballet schools would take me until I was three. And that's when I started. And I say that because for me, movement has always been important in my life. And it was must have been about 22, 23. And I was working with this dance company. I was like assistant to the directors. And they gave me a gift card to yoga. It was like a week of unlimited yoga at a yoga studio. And I kind of missed an important bit. I had tried yoga once before that when I was 16. I hated it. Hated it so much. I spent the entire class grumbling in my mind going, what is this new age bullshit? I was so frustrated. Every like natural dancer movement impulse in me was the opposite of what I was meant to be doing in this class. It all felt really awkward and uncomfortable. I was really intimidated by like the whole spirituality aspect of it that I didn't understand because I was a teenager dragged there by my mom. So it's just not having it. So I was like, yeah, I don't like yoga. And I just, you know, at 16 was like, yep, not for me. And so then at 22, 23, somewhere in there, I was given this gift card to do yoga and I'm a horrible liar. And I see these directors like eight times a week. So I'm not going to be able to lie about having used the gift card. So I was like, I guess I'll have to try yoga again. (laughs) It's a nice gift and I can't lie. So here we go. So I went to the yoga studio and this was all in the US. This was on the East Coast in America. And I went to the yoga studio and the teacher was amazing. She was so welcoming. She was so kind. She understood like all the weird, quirky, incorrect dancer alignment things I was doing. And she was really like gentle and how she helped guide me towards finding the more yogi alignment of it all. And 
she had fun music and she had us like laughing and engaging. And then at the end, you get nap time. And at that point in my life, I was dancing. I was working two other jobs. I was commuting hours and hours a day. I was literally working seven days a week. A day off was a day I only had one job or one rehearsal. And so the nap time at the end, she said, it's called Shavasana, but I call it grown up nap time. She said, you have nowhere else you need to be. There's nothing else you need to do. And I just felt like crying because at that point I was always needing to be somewhere else. And I always had a hundred things to do. And I remember at the end, I just thought, right, don't know what half that was. I'm sure I did everything incorrectly, but I'm going back for the nap time. So it was all thanks to her and she knows, and I often credit her for making me fall in love with yoga. And We still chat and keep in touch, but I then kept on going. I then got an extra job at the yoga studio because if you already have three jobs, why not? Kept on doing more and more yoga. And all the while still dancing, dance was still my life, dance was still my passion. And then at one point it started creeping into my mind while I was doing yoga, this kind of thought of don't let yoga replace dance, don't let yoga replace dance. So of course it did. (laughs) And I realized it was getting to be 26, which is not that old. And my joints were aching. I was bruised. My muscles were sore all the time. I was pushing my body. Dancers really beat up their bodies and dancers who have to work lots of jobs to stay alive extra beat up their bodies because they're not taking time for themselves. They're not resting. They're probably not eating. I was always having like snack bars while driving to the next rehearsal or the next job changing and traffic lights to keep on getting from work to work. (laughs) So suddenly I thought, wow, here's a way of moving my body that's actually kind that's actually taking care of me, that's actually about honoring my body, that's not about beating it up. And then eventually, after another few years, I kind of thought, hmm, I can't do handstands. At the time, I was quite a big meat eater. I was like, I don't know if they'll let me do yoga teacher training when I can't even do crow pose, but I think I'm just going to see if they will. And they did. (laughs) And now it's been a decade of teaching yoga. Oh my gosh, that's an incredible story. And I especially love that the first time you went to yoga, you didn't like it. I think a lot of people will resonate with that. And you actually just had to probably one, be the right time in your life to be open towards it. And two, find a teacher that you resonate with. Exactly. To allow it to happen, which is amazing. And yeah, I can totally understand your body going please just be kind to me because I have danced not professionally at all, but even then I can understand how hard it is on your body and how physically draining. So there's probably a natural transition where you go, I can't do this forever because my body will break. It is broken. (laughs) And I think the, the, Needing yoga for the first time initially, which sounds so horrible to say for somebody who loves it now, but I did. I genuinely was like, oh, never again. That's a really important part of the story, which is why I was like, oh, I've got to make sure I include that because that is basically what led me to realize that as a teacher, for me, I see my mission as welcoming people to yoga who've like heard of it. Like not everybody knows of yoga. Everybody's heard of it, but loads of us go, well, that's not for me. Like it would probably help and it might be good for me, but it's not for me. I'm not a yoga person. I'm going to hate it. And I'm like, I feel you. That was me. I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah. And that you're who I want 
in my class. Yeah. And you want to have said, hey, I've had that experience too. I resonate. It can be different. I actually think my first ever yoga class, I was 16 as well. So a similar age. (laughs) It was in Vancouver. And I remember I was with my best friend at the time and the whole the breathing and the which now by the way I love it's like my favorite yeah, of part course, of yeah. I love it was the most funniest thing and I'm sure we were told off for laughing because I was like why would you do this this is so funny <laughs> at the time but again it's got to be that right point in your life doesn't it yeah I think there's like the right time you have to want it you can't make anybody decide to do yoga I think maybe that was part of like you know my mom was dragging me so I was like I hate this I don't want to do this don't make me do it but it's you have to decide but if you're kind of like wavering and like on the edge of thinking about it then like just go for it and see and if you hate it fine and you know or if you hated that experience but you're still kind of feeling like just try a totally different teacher, try a totally different style and see if it resonates with you and see if that's the one that gives you that fix. Yeah, definitely. That's great advice. I love that. Let's talk about making yoga more accessible and inclusive because I love that that is your mission. When did you start to notice that not everyone was able to find a safe space for them? I mean, initially it came down to this whole beginner thing. So originally, you know, it was like a 26 year old yoga teacher it was wow you know a lot of studios can feel very intimidating you can see a bunch of people that maybe all look a certain way have a certain body type maybe a certain shade of skin maybe a certain level of income and what about the rest of us and wait well I can't do that fancy pose or I don't look or like a Cirque du Soleil performer on Instagram, am I allowed to do yoga? Like, I feel like there was a lot of things going on, which just kind of making it seem like this exclusive club to be a part of in the West. And then on top of that, while incredibly important and beautiful, is the Sanskrit names for the poses. They're so beautiful. And I do know them. I have learned them and studied them and was tested on them. And I I really appreciate and honor them. But I find that when I walked into a studio as a newbie, if the teacher is only speaking in Sanskrit and then all these seemingly perfect looking yogis are just following along, you feel like an outcast. You feel a bit like an idiot for not knowing what on earth Adho Svanasana means. And it's like, oh, if you just said down dog, I've had a half a clue what my body was meant to do. Like, why couldn't you just say it in a way that you knew I'd understand? And so I always feel a bit conflicted in how I put this because yoga obviously is an ancient Indian tradition. And so in that way, Sanskrit is vitally important that it's taught in Sanskrit. And it's really beautiful to share that with people in the West. But from my own experience, I kind of see me as like, your stepping stone to then if you choose to go, like you really get into yoga and then you feel ready to go into a space where it's all going to be taught to you in Sanskrit, you're fine. But with me, you get to learn the alignment, you get to feel welcome, you get to kind of feel included and not feel like you're supposed to already know all the secret ways of this exclusive club. So that was kind of the original was like taking away the mystery of yoga that makes it feel like you're not meant to be there. But from there, it's really grown so much in the sense of I discovered that for me, my favorite people to teach, like kind of like my alternate way of putting my mission is that it's teaching people who know yoga could help them 
but wouldn't necessarily seek it out for themselves. And so the way that I achieve that mission is I love teaching corporate yoga. Corporate yoga means I get to go to pre-pandemic, I was in headquarters all over London all the time, you know, go right into the office and say, right, okay, let's do this and help people move their bodies, alleviate lower back pain, relax that shoulder tension from your day at the office, start to find some joy and movement, increase your mobility, maybe help with like the strains of work because work is hard on our bodies. And those people are often people who would never in a million years walk to, you know, a fancy yoga studio and get a subscription. But because their employers brought me in, they now are getting the gift of yoga. They're now getting introduced and they love it. And that is like, yes. (laughs) And that's for everyone. It's like, you know, tell me what injuries you have. Tell me what's going on with your body. What are the restrictions to your mobility that you're dealing with? What are the things that maybe make you feel afraid to go into a studio? Talk to me. I'll work with you. We've got this. And just making it really like welcoming that truly, if you think you can't do yoga, you can't touch your toes, you don't know what any pose is, amazing. Come to class with me. I can't wait. That's so wonderful. And I think it's respecting yoga and the traditional practice, but it's meeting people where they're at. Because if you go to a class and you don't understand and you're constantly looking over your shoulder going, who's who's doing this one with the, how's their body in that? I can't follow what the teacher's saying. You're not going to want to go back. So it's great that your practice can develop and you can understand and you can understand the traditions and then take it from there. But it's finding somewhere to me and I guess we all we all come in wonderful different shapes and sizes and our bodies are designed to do different things so you don't want to go to a class and feel that I'm going to be made to do things that's not designed for my body and it's gonna make me not feel good about myself or awkward that I can't do something and there's there's so much room for growth and learning for me as a teacher in that sphere because there's things that you know, there's like our own biases that we're not even aware of that we have. And so I remember it must have been about a year and a half ago, you know, still quasi pandemic-y, lockdown-y times, signing on to this amazing training that was, I've got the exact name, that's what it was. It was the LGBTQIA plus experience in yoga. And what I loved about that was there was a lot of things in the discussion from the panel leaders that I had never even thought of. And so many things where I'm going, oh, I can't believe I didn't think of that. I can't believe I might have been saying something that could have made somebody feel uncomfortable in a class. And one of the examples that really stuck out to me that one of the panelists said, and yeah, it's just never left me. So a trans person was in a class where there was like maybe like it was like an epic like workshop style at a big event kind of class there was like hundreds of people with the teacher up on the stage and one of those Britney Spears mics and the teacher was guiding everybody into yogi squat so yogic squat is this deep low wide-legged squat and said this pose is especially great for pregnant people and everybody's kind of nodding along like oh yeah and then he goes oops sorry I mean pregnant woman god I can't believe I said that and the trans student went, oh, for a millisecond, I felt seen. And then instead, I was in a room full of people laughing and I intend to get pregnant. And I felt like for a moment, somebody cared and recognized that. And now all of a sudden I'm being laughed at. And so even with my prenatal yoga, which you've got to do with me last week, 
I am always very mindful. And I already had been before that discussion, but then it really hit me after hearing that to not say about mums to be, not say for pregnant women, not because I'm not expecting that a majority of my students who will come will identify as women, but because there needs to be a space for everybody. There needs to be a space to feel seen. You might be a woman, but you might be a surrogate. So mums to be doesn't make sense for you. You're not going to ultimately be with that baby once it's born, but you are carrying it now and you're deserving of prenatal yoga. Your baby might be getting given up for adoption. You might be in a trans body. You might like, why is it always said pregnant women, mums to be, that is actually really exclusive. And and so there's so much more work that I need to do. And there's so much more awareness I need to build and trainings I need to attend and learn from people who have different experiences from me to continue that mission. But I think that that's really important. And I think constantly seeking out to learn from people in different bodies and people with different experiences in society is so, so vital if your mission is making yoga inclusive, which mine is. So yeah, I'm I'm here to keep learning and open to all suggestions and recommended trainings and ways to improve because I always want to make sure people feel seen in class and feel welcome. I love that, that I think having these conversations are so important and also being willing to learn because we can go in with the best intentions of saying the best things never wanting to hurt anybody's feelings but unless we're willing to learn and we're willing to understand other people's experiences that are different from us we're not going to be able to do that in the yoga industry or in the health and fitness industry in in general so it's always being open to learning and understanding because we're not going to experience life the way everybody experiences life because that's just not the way it works Exactly. And like, I think it's having the grace for yourself to know you're going to mess up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I've, I've, I've messed up plenty in the past. I've probably messed up even in how I was expressing it just now. And I'm sure I'll mess up plenty more in the future. But I think it's doing your best to be aware of the impact. Once you know something, doing your best to put that into action. Once somebody's opened your eyes to maybe some blind spot of yours to acknowledge and take that on. And, you know, it's not about pleasing everybody. That's not it. And none of us can. It's impossible. But it's about being true to what you say, practicing what you preach and being true to who you are. And so if your mission is that then keep learning, keep growing, keep messing up, fall on your face. You're still going forward. Just keep going and do your best. And I think that's the key. None of us are going to be perfect. That just yeah. doesn't exist. And I guess it's creating a safe space for someone to come to you and say at the end of class or to say, by the way, for my experience, you know, saying this can be taken as this. So here is another way for future. And I know that in my experience, I've had that a few times and it's been so those times have helped me so so much as a coach as a human and even being able to say to friends when they've maybe said something similar and saying actually that's not the way that is the kindest way to say it sometimes wording it differently can make all of the difference yeah it's about constantly learning right yeah a hundred percent I think what you're doing is incredible absolutely incredible I'd love to know more about your own health and fitness journey. Now, I know you've already shared about your dance career, which I'm so intrigued about. I'd love to know more. I guess, how did that 
develop over time? Do you still dance now? Do you not dance at all? Like, what's your relationship with that? Thinking about that question, I immediately felt like a bit embarrassed and nervous because I always joke like for a while I would be teaching at various gyms. So I have access to all these gyms, but I never went to work out. I just went to spread yoga and then left. And, you know, I finally last summer started Couch to 5K and the number of my students were like, I'm so happy you're finally running because they're runners and they're passionate about it. And I'm always going, yeah, okay, I'll put in calf muscle stretches. Yeah, okay, we'll work your kids today. I'll help you out. But like, I never was doing what they were doing. And basically, I'm always a little embarrassed because yoga is my main form of movement and oftentimes like my only form of real, like proper And I don't even think of it as exercise because I think that cuts out so much of what yoga is, but like it's my main movement. Dance wise, when I retired at 26, I stopped dancing cold turkey. So I've actually not been in a dance class since. And even my dancing around in the kitchen, putting the dishes away has massively dwindled over the last decade. I'm now slightly terrified about how embarrassing it would be if I showed up to an adult dance class now, but I am thinking about it. So I do some of my couch to 5k. I've had a broken ankle last summer, so I fell off and then slowly getting myself back into it. And then my real thing is that I just love walking. I walk absolutely everywhere. I'm after living in America, growing up there, I could not wait to not have a car. I was so excited to live in a country where like walking is a real thing and you can get your groceries on foot and you can get to Paris without a car, obviously with some trains and stuff. <laughs> but you know that like there's so much more of this like human scale around me to walk and enjoy. And then obviously now moving to Scotland, getting to go up on like hill walks and wild camping adventures and just exploring all the beauty here. So walking in the city, hill walking, occasional couch to 5k and yoga. And then, you know, sometimes I do like a little fit and five video or something with a trainer that I know and like, I just look up their content, but it's I'd be lying if I said that happens more than once every few months. That's totally okay, though, because with yoga, obviously there's the more relaxed practice, but there's also an incredible amount of strengthening going on there. So if you, you know, are doing that regularly with with the strengthening, with your walking and running as cardio, you're ticking all the boxes. So (laughs) (laughs) that makes you feel any better. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, new year and thinking that I'm going to finally crush all those fitness (laughs) things I set for myself. I'm not even going to call them goals. I just go, yeah, this year I'm going to do and then I'm like "Mm, nah it's yoga and walking isn't it that's what yeah that's what like the root is is there anything that you really like your heart is like I want to do this at some point this is a really cool exercise that I want to do oh that's a really good question I don't I'm struggling to think of exactly what that would be but it's hard being up here where it's so cold Mm -hmm. but one of the things that I do feel I really want to kind of get into the habit of and get over is the wild swimming I really want to build the habit of doing it at least once a week so that it's not constantly putting my body through cold shock again (laughs) and so getting my wild swimming down I've actually finally got a wetsuit for the first time ever so all of my first two years in Scotland was actually just in a bikini because I didn't own the correct kit 
So it's very cold. And then I do have now a stand up paddle board because I'm only like a mile from the beach. And so I would like to get way more proficient at it and do some proper, you know, like lessons to really understand how I'm meant to be moving with the tides and safety of it all. And I just kind of go out and literally have a paddle and then go, cool, that was fun and come back in. But it would be amazing to get a lot more knowledgeable and and actually a bit more adventurous with. Yes. Oh, definitely. Well, we can talk after the podcast because I used to be a very, very regular wild swimmer in Scotland <laughs> before I got pregnant. I haven't done it. I do really, really miss it. I can't wait to get back into it. I'm not sure on the research if I'm pregnant. It's maybe not the best idea. Um, yeah. But yeah, we we can talk about that because there's some great spots. Oh yeah, please. <laughs> I promise it gets easier. And actually I did a presentation for my clients about it last week. And the research says it can take as little as six sessions before your body stops reacting to the cold is in fight or flight and you can control your breathing more. So every time yeah. you do it, just think, okay, in six sessions or five sessions or however many, I'm, this is going to get easier. And it does. I promise you. It and and it, the first time was horrific as it ought to be. But after that, like the difference from one to two was already so massive. Oh, yeah. But it is really funny because I am such a like, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to get in. I'm just, but I spend like five minutes with it at my ribs going, yeah. I can get my shoulders under. I know I'll be happier. I know it'll be fine. I know. <laughs> and I just have to sit there and like reason with myself for however many minutes it takes. And then you always feel better once you do it. So it's like, why can't I just minimize that period of convincing myself and just feel better as fast as possible? <laughs> It will be easier when spring comes. <laughs> exactly. Spring is on its way. Okay, here is a challenging question now. And I know this is a difficult one when I wrote it. But if you could change one thing about the health and fitness industry, what would it be? For me, it's the diet culture BS, the fat shaming, the exclusivity, and just the toxic behavior that's so prevalent I mean there's things where and I, I hear it all the time I hear it come out of my mouth sometimes as far as like what's ingrained in you we're like oh I feel bad I ate that whole Ben and Jerry's and I'm like no I don't feel bad I'm a human being and I've worked a lot today and whether I have or not I deserve to eat ice cream without guilt what is that why is that in my head <laughs> you know but I'm just I really really hate what it does to so many of us how it it makes us beat ourselves up and it puts us in this really negative headspace. It has us constantly having this feeling of either guilt or anxiety or not good enough. And it's just such a waste of our energy and our precious life and what we have to offer. And I'm just, I'm so done with it. Yeah, <laughs> It's horrific. And so I'm doing this 30 days of TLC thing right now. And when I was planning it, I was laughing. And I think I messaged one of my students who I knew was going to do it. And I was like, is it bad that I'm equal parts thinking of amazing tofu recipes and constant chocolatey dessert recipes? And so in the end, every week I've been sending like a savory and a sweet recipe without any like, oh, this is what the calories are, or it has superfoods. I'm like, no, this is a really delicious chocolate pregnant recipe that's also vegan. And you can make it gluten-free if you're celiac. Yay. But it's not a, it's vegan because that's better for you. No, it's vegan because that helps my vegan students be able to eat chocolate. You know, And so it is kind of doing my best to constantly push away that mindset that like, 
you're supposed to be thinner or you're supposed to feel bad if you want to eat food. You're a human. You need to eat food. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's how life works. I really can't stand that stuff. And I really wish that there were more and more and more. And there are, but I wish it was even more. I wish we could just overwhelm and drown out that old chorus. I wish there was more of us that are constantly encouraging people to be actual human beings and to accept their body as it is and celebrate their body as it is and talk about moving because you enjoy it and moving because it helps your peace of mind or your mobility or helps you de-stress, but not moving because of a number on a scale or moving because of some weird body thing like a thigh gap that like come on (laughs) what are you gonna get for that like nothing I'd want (laughs) yeah I just don't get it it is and I think when you're in that headspace because it's so hard not to be because it's everywhere you cannot escape diet culture it is absolutely everywhere but when you've kind of gone over that line and you've gone oh you think how dare they say to guilt this or to shame this or want to change this? Like, why is it not okay for me just to be me and just for me to be happy as I am? Everyone always kind of assumes that, oh, you must want to do this or that. or And it's like, no, no, let's just really celebrate us for who we are and trying to be healthy, happy humans. Yeah. And you just made me think my from my own kind of body fluctuations, which is always kind of going up and down and growing up in the dance world, I definitely had a bigger body than was the ballet norm. And that was really rough. Thankfully, being Italian, I love pasta so much that it saved me from any possibility of eating disorders because I just kept eating. But (laughs) I saw loads of peers that had fallen into anorexia, bulimia. I saw the pressures of trying to dance alongside people who were that thin when I absolutely wasn't. And it was kind of going, hmm, even when I lose weight, my skeleton is wider than they want me to be. And no amount of changing my food or my habits and my movement is going to make my skeleton smaller, except for osteoporosis, because I'm not giving it nutrition. And either way, I'm not dying for this thing that I love to do. It's just wrong. And so in the past, I have had times where I have lost weight. And I can tell you every single one of them was during a horrible period of my life. And it was only ever due to extreme stress that caused me to lose my appetite. I was never working out really well and eating really healthily. I wasn't happy at those times. I was having the worst times of my life. And then students would see that I'd lost weight and they'd say, oh, wow, you look great. You've lost a lot of weight. And I'd say, actually, I'm going through a really horrible time and I can't physically eat and this is not healthy so it's cool you've noticed but please don't celebrate it and not in like I'm mad at you way but in a let me tell you to not idolize seeing people thinner because a lot of times they're not doing better whereas right now I am by far the heaviest I have ever been I've got way more jiggle on me than I've ever had but I'm really happy so I'd much rather have a bit of extra me while being happy than have way less of me because I am so hurt and in so much pain and struggling so much that I can't eat. I'm just, I'm really done with all of us celebrating weight loss as like the end all be all of success. And then looking down on people for gaining weight. I just, I think we've got our priorities all wrong and we should be seeking joy and healthfulness. And trust me, when I've lost weight, it's never been never been healthy. 
I'm exactly the same whenever people have been like, oh, you look great. You've lost loads of weight. I'm like, well, I'm miserable. I am literally not in a good place right now. And it, you don't want that when you're in that place. You don't want that kind of glorified or celebrated because then it makes you think, well, I need to be unhealthy in order to maintain this anomaly. It is. And yeah, it's such it's such a difficult topic. But if I could change one thing about the health and fitness industry, it would also be diet culture. So let's go on a mission together (laughs) 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 and fight it because yeah, if it could go, I think that would just change the world and think of our relationship with our bodies and food and exercise it. Yeah. The wonders it would do for us. Exactly. The whole reason I found you was because I was sharing a whole bunch of stories of all this anti-diet culture stuff and then ended it with a little survey time saying, who are people I've missed that you look up to because they celebrate anti-diet culture and you got recommended. So you are already a champion of it. There we go. <laughs> That's how we found each other. Which was lovely. <laughs> I'd love to let, know, Elena, what are some of the biggest misconceptions about yoga? Again, I can only share my perspective from like a Western view, right? And so what I've, and I started yoga in Washington, DC, which is the East coast of the US as a student. Then I trained in San Diego, so Southern California on the West Coast, and then moved to the UK and I've taught in London and Scotland. So those are kind of where I've been involved in the yoga world is both coasts in the US and London and Edinburgh in the UK. And what I've found is that between social media of people from all those areas and people in real life in all those areas, one of the biggest things is I'm not flexible, so I can't do yoga. Yes. I mean, everybody knows, right? But I always say that's like telling me I have no food, so I can't go to the shop. (laughs) Like, great. So what do you do when you're not flexible? You, You work on it. You don't, none of you are meant to show up and magically be these perfect yoga bunnies. That's not, that doesn't exist. Like you're coming to yoga because you want more mobility and flexibility, not because you already have it. Then what would the point be? So I think that's a huge one. Like, and I, and I love it, and I hear it. I'll, I know I'll hear it every day for the rest of my life from people, and that's fine. But I'll always give them that same response. Like, great, come to yoga. Yep, that is a brilliant one because I think I hear that a lot, and I know my dad. Sorry, dad, calling you on the podcast, but he always says. I'm not doing yoga, like I'm not flexible, I can't get into the positions. I'm like, oh, but it'd be so good for you and it would complement your running that you like doing. And it's that block, isn't it, being like, I see women mostly, and obviously yoga is for everyone, but in Lululemon doing the splits and that's what you need to do. And that just isn't what it's about. It's for everyone. It's for everyone. And one thing that you make me think of with that too is so like, Yes. Okay. Whether we have the flexibility or not, we are meant, you know, you do need to get to yoga. (laughs) It's going to help you. But one of my favorite teachers who I really, really admire, a different one than who first introduced me, he always says yoga is a feeling, not a shape. And so when your dad's saying, I can't get into those shapes, a lot of people like, I still, because I don't practice them anymore. Can't really do handstands right now because I haven't practiced it in years my own fault, fine. And it took me years to even get up the guts to try to kick up and do it against a wall. So basically in like 14 years of doing yoga, never managed to really master that. Doesn't mean I can't do yoga. Doesn't mean I can't teach yoga. Doesn't mean yoga doesn't help me. That's just a shape that either I struggle to do or I haven't committed to. That's fine. But it's about the feeling 
that you're going for. And so I really, one of the things in my classes that's really important is going, right, if we're to say we're doing, you're sitting with your legs out in front of you, which firstly, hard for a lot of people to do. Just that is hard. So like, let's acknowledge that. (laughs) But say you're sitting on the ground with your legs in front of you. Well done for getting into that. You're probably already feeling what the next step is supposed to be about. So when we see people like those, you know, our Lululemon girls, like, and I worked for Lululemon for six years, so I feel I can say this. When you see your Lululemon girls reach for their toes, like it's no big deal. Cool. As long as they're feeling their hamstrings and cool for you to be sitting upright with a cushion or a block under your hips and your knees bent, as long as you're feeling your hamstrings. And I always say to my students, and I I really have to discover a way for this to not sound uncaring, but I always say, I don't care what it looks like. I just want you to feel what you're meant to feel and not feel pain. So it's like, if you're feeling a good stretch in your hamstrings and you're not feeling pain in your back, amazing. I don't care if you touch your toes. I really don't care. I'm not going to try to make you. It doesn't matter. You're not going to like reach nirvana because you touched your toes. All the people who are touching their toes should be feeling and us who aren't should be feeling is our hamstrings. We just need to let go of that idea that we're all supposed to look the same because we don't. And we don't in ourselves day to day, practice to practice, year to year. So why should we all look the same as somebody on Instagram? We're just, we're not gonna. That is wonderful. I'm gonna really hold on to that. A feeling, not a shape. That is brilliant because that everybody can need to know can know what it aims for and it can look different and that is okay and that is how everything should be to be honest because that is just such a wonderful way of looking at it I know we've already touched on this but I'd love to touch on it again and I kind of have an answer for this for you (laughs) (laughs) for someone listening who has always struggled with yoga and maybe feels that it's not for them what would you recommend? And I'd recommend they go to a class with you, but we'll see what you recommend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, firstly, yeah, I would love for them to give it a try in whatever way feels right for them. But I would just say, if you're feeling like you're thinking about it, and like I said earlier, like you're on the verge, it's like, if, if what you've heard from me sounds like it resonates with you, try me. If there's another teacher that you think resonates with you, try them. If you want to maybe give it a try with like, you know, yoga with Adrian videos first and see, I think sometimes even just getting to like, learn a bit of like background before you put yourself in the vulnerable situation of being in a class can feel really comforting. So give that a go. But if you're feeling interested in it, just give it a try. I always repeat all the time. I don't know, you probably already know this. Do you know what a yoga class is actually called? Like a a yoga? No. It's called a practice. Mm, Every yoga class is actually a practice. When you show up and do yoga in any way, mindfully, if you're doing it with your breath work, if you're doing it through meditation, it's always called a practice. And so we're never meant to show up, know everything and do everything perfectly. There is no such thing as perfectly. None of us will achieve perfection. It just doesn't exist. So just take that pressure off yourself and remember that it's a practice and then go practice. Oh, and one more really like really common one with this. We just discussed this with my yoga school students a couple of weeks ago. When you first start yoga, 
I felt this massively and I checked, they all felt this too. When you first go into a yoga class, whether it's on Zoom or it's in a studio or real life, you tend to feel terrified that everybody in the room knows what they're doing, except you, that everybody in the room is going to be looking at you and judging you. But here's the thing. If you are a beginner, all the other beginners in the room are feeling that. And they're so petrified of that, that they're not looking at you or judging you because they're terrified you're looking at them and judging them. Or they've now gotten so into their yoga practice that they are just there to move their body, ease their mind and breathe. And they are also not looking at you or judging you. So we all have this shared feeling that we're going to be judged and looked at and none of us are actually judging or looking at. So you're safe. That's really important to know. That's so important to know because you want to know it's a safe space, don't you? And I, I remember going to loads of yoga classes and the best ones I always found, but ones I got the most out of was I would keep my eyes shut for as much as I could or just keep really in the zone because you get the most out of it when it's about you. It's not about anybody else. It's not about how their body is doing, just focusing on you and how you're feeling. It's so true. And, and one thing that I especially pre-pandemic loved was also making us snap out of our own heads sometimes and acknowledge the other humans in the room and like say hey so I used to make everybody go off their mats at the start and get four hellos I'd encourage hugs but I was also respecting of space and said that you can handshake you can high five you can just verbally say hello but like go and acknowledge the existence of four other people in this room before we start and like in London, mind blowing because Londoners don't look at anybody. <laughs> so to suddenly be seen and to see others and to kind of acknowledge your shared humanity, it just everybody's shoulders went down like three inches afterwards. And then say we were working on like an arm balance, scary, or even like standing balance, which can also be scary, like tree pose. We would then high five two other people after each side, so that we're also celebrating and acknowledging that somebody else did it. Whether they fell over, whether they lost their balance, whether they lifted their toes off the ground or not, doesn't matter. Just acknowledge them and celebrate them for practicing. And I think that's key too. So I'm with you. I think it's the getting to the point where you can really like just focus and connect with yourself and connect with your practice is so special and important. But also at certain times, it's really helpful to like acknowledge the humanity of everyone around you and to like acknowledge that you're all in it together and support each other a little. So good to do. It's so, so important. And this, I guess my recent experience wasn't to do with yoga, but it's on the same theme of I went to an aqua bellies class, which is like aqua kind of yoga and Zumba kind of in the water for pregnant ladies pregnant people sorry so there we go I've already and you know what we'll keep that in there because that's important it is and it could be that it's advertised for pregnant ladies so then you're actually just quoting how it's worded already that is true but that is yeah it's a good it's a good just to make you think definitely and this podcast definitely has but I remember going for the first time feeling so self-conscious will I be able to keep up is my bump too small too big what are people going to think I hope they don't know that I'm a trainer and I'm pre and postnatal qualified because I'm feeling really unfit will I throw up in the pool I didn't um (laughs) and I just felt almost closing into myself but then as soon as we did the icebreaker 
kind of around us and we got chatting and we introduced ourselves and we said it everything just relaxed and I was able to enjoy the class and enjoy going in so I think definitely if you're in a class whatever exercise class it may be even just introducing yourself to other people if the instructor hasn't you know encouraged that and just going hey or hey I'm a bit nervous hey this is my first time because 99% of people are going to be lovely and are going to go, don't worry, it's great. You'll be fine. You've got this. I mean, even what you said too about the bump, that's such a big thing that I don't think enough non-pregnant people or even people who've been pregnant before, but maybe forget or back, you know, when we were growing up, I feel like I always heard everybody commenting on the size of bumps and then go, oh, you're ready to pop and all this and that. And like, And so then that got internalized because I heard every adult in my life constantly saying it when I was a teenager and in my early 20s and even in my early 30s, I'd repeat the stupid stuff I'd heard other people say and then finally learned better. And and so like a little PSA for your sake and other pregnant people's sakes, we don't need to comment on the size of a bump and every bump will be different. Every bump will show differently. There will be certain periods where all of a sudden it will really feel like it changes for a pregnant person or it really drops or shifts. Some people's bumps will stay quite small. Some will be quite large and it doesn't matter at all and it is not for us to comment on and like we don't need to put any pressure on any pregnant person for the size of their bump even if we don't think we are even if we think we're just saying like some happy little throwaway joke you don't know what that's going to mean to them when they hear that and so just let it go yes. <laughs> let go the bump great comments advice. great advice and also I find my bump changes throughout the day in the morning <laughs> I'm like, baby, where have you gone? And then by evening, I'm like, whoa. (laughs) Gravity. Yeah. It's just going going with that and depending on where baby's position is as well. So thank you for that. That was so helpful. I would love to know, Elena, do you have any daily non-negotiables for your own self-care? Oh, coffee. Oh, good one. (laughs) Great one. (laughs) What's your favorite coffee? What's your coffee order? So at home, I have like the Italian style percolator. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's that like the metal twist onto the top thing that you put on the stovetop. And I literally, it's quite a big one. I think if you were doing it properly as an espresso shot, it was like six to eight espresso shots. But I drink it in a gigantic mug with oat milk and a teaspoon of sugar. And I am happy and functioning for the rest of the day. And if I'm out and about, then it's like a flat white or a latte but I am like the biggest coffee addict and yeah it's that is my one non-negotiable like if I think I can't build habits I can it's called drinking coffee I've got a great habit and I do it every day I'm sure so (laughs) many can relate to that definitely my I'm looking forward to getting back so I was very much into coffee and now I'm very disappointed in my craving is the little decaf instant coffee and I'm like, why am I drinking this? Because normally I've got to like grind the beans and press it. And it's this whole thing. Experience. And now I'm just like, give me the instant coffee, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's so good. And it's so important to get your coffee fixed, however it has to be. Yes. And even if that changes, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, let it roll with the times, modify it with your body. I do also, for me, my big thing, but this is one that I have to make more of an effort. Coffee is like non-negotiable because I won't function without but the one that I love and need to make the effort for is getting out and getting my walk and getting the fresh air and in Scotland when you see the sun 
and you're not teaching and you're not in a meeting, get outside. Yes. Um, like it always gets really bright and gorgeous, like 10 minutes before I have to hop on a call or a class. I'm like, ah, or I'll see the sun looking beautiful. And then the second I sign off to run out the door, it starts pouring. <laughs> I know that feeling. I know that feeling. But yeah, getting out is so, so good. And I know when I had Hannah Louise Jacoby on the podcast, she said to get your greens and blues. And I loved that. And to go outside and to see the greens and blues and the colours. And that's what she says. And I think that's just a beautiful way of describing it. She's so good with those things. I love her. She's amazing. Here is another difficult question for you. If you could give your 18 year old self some advice, what would you say to her? Start yoga sooner. <laughs> Mainly because for myself, actually, right around 1920, I started to get anxiety attacks. But it was strange because I didn't know that that's what they were. And I'm quite a smiley, happy, positive person. So I didn't really understand because I didn't, on the surface, feel like there was anything worth being anxious about (laughs) and so I genuinely just thought I was dying genuinely I called my mom at like 3 a.m from uni and I was like take me to the hospital because I think I'm having a heart attack and she said you know she took me obviously and she was nervous because she's a worrier and I'm a worrier and we need to be warriors like the fighting kind but instead we're like the kind that bite our fingernails and stress (laughs) so eventually they ran all the tests did everything and said has anybody ever talked to you about the possibility of anxiety I was like, no. And they're like, well, your heart's fine and you're not going to die. No, not now anyway, from whatever's going on with you, but maybe you're anxious. And so I think if I had started the yoga practice sooner, that could have saved me from maybe developing it in that way. And I also think I, it's not that I know that I do yoga. I never experienced anxiety. That would be a total lie. I absolutely do. But now I have tools that help me. Now I have practices that can help me ease it, have much more mind and body awareness than I would have at 18. So now I can see the signs coming and I can instantly start putting things into practice to try to calm it before it takes over. And then that awareness to then know, okay, is this something that's just coming up because of, you know, a silly stress that I can easily deal with, but maybe I've been pushing down and now it's bubbled over? Or is this something that needs more help? And then what help can I go get? And and so I think the ability... To to have the tools to deal with anxiety would have been one of the best gifts I could have given my 18-year-old self. And on that note, like my dad always says, is good dad wisdom, be the sky, not the weather. And I need to put that into practice more often, but I love it. And it sticks with me because, you know, there's going to be storms that are going to come. Like all of us being a yoga teacher does not make me immune to life. Like I have life. We all have life. Some of us have way more life than we should, (laughs) way more weather, way more things going on. But if we can just kind of be this bigger thing and just hold space and go, cool, this is happening and I'm going to deal with it and I'm going to let myself feel it, but it is not me. I am not that weather. I am something bigger than that. And I can be grounded while this is happening and just kind of slightly distance yourself, still feel it. It's so important to not push things down or to always be happy and never be stressed. Like, no, you're a human in like modern times dealing with way too much with an overstimulating phone and horrific news. You will feel stressed and anxious even without things in your own life. And then when things hit you personally, (laughs) so like always allow the space for it but do your best 
to be grounded and to just know that it's going to pass and it is not you and keep that slight bit of separation <laughs> between you and the anxiety or you and the stress that's coming up. That is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And my final question for you, Elena, is what are you currently doing to look after future Elena? Finally cleaning my flat. That is such a good one. <laughs> got out of hand leading up to Christmas and then I got a cold bug and then a stomach bug and a lot of work going on and so I'm finally just kind of like opening the windows doing that thing where you pull the entire wardrobe out and so you make the whole mess way worse because you're gonna like Mary Kondo it and make it way better and as overwhelming as it is it is definitely gonna help future Elena be way calmer and happier in the rest of 2023 if I can just get through the immense amount of mess I've I feel you I moved in we moved into our new house on the same day I found out I was pregnant and then I immediately got really unwell and couldn't unpack anything and sort anything properly so it was just a mess for months and my husband did a good job but all my stuff was just in boxes and only now have I sorted it and you just feel feel like a new woman feels amazing like your headspace and like the well-being from less clutter and less mess around you and I mean I'm not the cleanest person but I can I'm working on it for future Elena yes definitely definitely (laughs) now I haven't prepped you for this because you are actually the first guest who I'm gonna throw this at as a little finisher shall we say of the podcast Um, (laughs) this is inspired by Venetia Lamana who has a wonderful podcast called All the Small Things and she loves to do a quick fire round at the end. So I'm gonna, I'm basically gonna go through just a couple of things and you just choose which one you would do and just go with from the top of your head. So don't overthink of it. Okay, are we ready? Yes. Quick fire with Elena. Early mornings or a lion? Lion. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Yoga or meditation? Yoga. Walks in nature or lifting weights in the gym? Walks in nature. Cold shower or sea dip? Sea dip. Dinner and dancing out or bath and Netflix staying in? Bath and Netflix staying in. Nut butter or chocolate? Chocolate. And finally, Edinburgh or London? Edinburgh. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, London, I did love you. (laughs) Do, not did. Elena, where can people find you? I'm going to make sure all the links to you, your wonderful Instagram page, and also any links that you have are in the show notes. If people want to try yoga with you, maybe ask you some questions, where is the best place for them to find you? So Instagram is by far the best. If you're a Facebook person, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm on it, but I'm really bad. So Instagram, if possible, which is the lovely catalyst with underscores, which you will share. And then obviously my website, anybody can always just message me on Instagram. If it gets hidden and I don't seem to be seeing it, email me, elena at thelovelycatalyst.com. Let me know how you found me and then ask away and I'm happy to talk and, and hopefully help you find yoga. That is amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. And I hope to have you on the podcast again. Thank you, definitely. Definitely.